it's a whole different way of operating, and I call this a human-centered operating system. That is a combination of investment in people and operating decisions that create this environment where workers are very happy, they're fulfilled, they can be paid more, they can have more predictable schedules. Customers are happier because now not only do the stores look great, not only does the merchandise in stock, but also employees are friendly and helpful and the investors are very happy because the store is bringing more customers, bringing more sales and employees are actively reducing costs. From the MIT Sloan School of Management, this is Data Made to Matter. I'm Neil Hartman. A supply chain expert shows that happy, motivated workers can make bank for big box companies. Zainab Tan is a professor of operations management here at MIT Sloan. She uses data-based research to prove that service and retail companies can provide well-paying jobs, compete on cost, and win. I spoke with Zainab about how good jobs can be great for business and why she focuses on the now and the future of work. Zainab, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Zainab, the other day, I needed some milk and I went to my local neighborhood grocery store. I love this store. I know where things are. When I don't, the people are helpful. When I check out, the line is short. And I know from experience that not all grocery stores are equal. What are workers doing behind the scenes to make my shopping experience so smooth? First of all, it seems like your local store is a great one. <laughs> I think once I explain, Neil, what the workers are doing, uh, you'll have a sense for why the experience is not great at many supermarkets. Okay. So a typical store, a supermarket, has about 40,000 different products. Wow. The store receives them, they have to be shelved, their locations and prices change all the time because there are promotions. Mm -hmm. um, so part of what makes a store a great store is to have the merchandise in stock and well presented, but not an easy task given the 40,000 different products that the supermarket carries. Sure. So that's part of it. The other part of it is that you need a clean store. You need people who are responsive to your questions. It mm -hmm. seems like at your store... Uh, when you ask questions, the employees are able to answer them. Yes. But at a typical supermarket with 40,000 different products, most employees don't know what is where. They don't have enough time to answer you. And they're oftentimes not empowered to even talk to you. And oftentimes they don't have any time because the store will be understaffed. They mm. just won't have enough people to get all the work done. And you also want a fast, efficient checkout line. Right. No one likes to wait at the checkout. <laughs> but at stores that are understaffed or at stores where employees are not very well trained on the tasks that they need to do, we often see a lot of people at the checkout and long time for the customers to be frustrated there. So there's really a lot going on behind the scenes. You said the companies with high turnover lose out on profits. How could high turnover impact operations at my local grocery store? Yeah, so now think about this, right? So right. the store needs to be well-stocked, well-presented. If you have a bunch of new employees who are not well-trained, they might stock stuff in the wrong location. They might forget to stock the shelves at all, so the merchandise might be in the back room. So you might just not find the item that you're looking for. Right. Or at the checkout, they might make lots of mistakes. But what I found in my research, interestingly... I did not look into the good job strategy thinking about jobs and people all that much. Mm -hmm. The reason I looked into this is because my background is in supply chain management. 
And we were trying to figure out how to make retailers make more money through smarter merchandising decisions. And the types of decisions that we were looking at were things like forecasting demand, assortment optimization, inventory management, all the types of decisions that require large data sets and smart algorithms. Mm -hmm. During one of our conferences, and we had conferences every year, the CEO of Office Depot raised his hand and he said, you know, you academics love data and you <laughs> love analysis, but guess what? My supply chain actually gets the right product to the right store. Mm -hmm. And then once the product is in the store, it's in the wrong location. So my customers can't find it. And he called this a phantom stockout. So the product is there, but no one can find it. So I studied this problem at different retail chains. And one of the things that I found was that stores that had more employee turnover had more of this problem. Uh -huh. Things on the labor side, employee side, have an effect on store operations. We saw this to be true for lots of problems. You can think about the checkout line that we talked about. Right. You can think about promotions. Uh, not being executed. You can think about stores not being clean or associates just not being very friendly. All of these can be driven by employee turnover, understaffing, or lack of training, which of course then hurt the retailers um, in the long run. Right. So that certainly makes sense. Your research shows that treating workers well is key to long-term business success. What data did you look at and how did you find this to be true? So my research focuses largely on the retail industry. And one of the nice things about retail is that you often work with chains that have hundreds, sometimes thousands of stores. Sure. So you can collect data from all of their stores over a long time period and analyze that. So one of the first research sites that I had was Borders Group. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I found at Borders, looking at four years of data from over 300 stores, was that if stores had more labor spending, just hours of labor, not even, you know, more qualified, better employees, they would make more money. So they were staffing their stores at a rate that was not optimal okay. for profit maximization. And it was a surprise. How, why, why on earth would you not have enough people? <laughs> um, it took a lot of data to be able to answer that question. Most recently, um, my students and I worked with a retailer that has over a thousand stores. And we looked at 52 weeks of data from all of their stores, and we looked at individual level data. So we had data for 59,000 different people. Wow. For every week, we knew how much they made, how many hours they worked, and we also knew their uh, sales productivity. And what we found in that study was that associates were given too few hours per week every week. So... A typical associate will work there for only 13 hours a week. Hmm. Now imagine if your job is working 13 hours a week, how dedicated you are to that job, right. how much money you're making, and how important that job is to you. So what we have found was that if you increase how many hours people work in a week from 11 hours or 13 hours to more, there's a substantial increase in their sales productivity. Interesting. So offering them more hours, more stability is not just better for the workers, but it also produces higher sales productivity, so it's better for the company as well. So it sounds like it not only increases sales productivity, but also the employee's commitment to the company. It seems, it seems that way, yeah. Th these are perhaps common sense things, um, but when verified with data, 
then it becomes uh, more real for executives. Absolutely. From your perspective and research on the front lines of the service and retail industries, what is a good job? So um, I think every person has some basic human needs, right? We need to be able to make enough money to take care of our families. Sure. We need to have schedules that work with our lives. If we started at a low wage, we want to be able to promote it to better positions and have opportunities for learning and growth. And we want to be safe and secure in our workplace. Right. So these are minimum requirements, I think, in any place. But they are essential, especially in low-wage service industries, because pay is so low and schedules are so unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, every human has needs that are related to finding meaning in your work, dignity, being set up for success. Right. One of my favorite quotes is from uh, this woman who works at Quick Trip. Quick Trip is a convenience store chain with gas stations. Yeah, yeah. So it's like 7-Eleven. But Quick Trip pays its employees almost double the industry average, offers them more predictable schedules, offers a lot more training um, and opportunities for growth and success. And their per-store profits are 89% higher than the top quartile in the industry. Wow. When I asked one of the employees, why do you like working here so much? Penny said to me, she said, I work with 12 or 14 people. They go out and they touch 12 or 14 people. Hmm. So I get to make a really big difference in so many people's lives wow. by showing them what Quick Trip's ending goal is. And that's for everybody to be happy and everybody to be successful. I think if we can create jobs like that, at a convenience store chain with gas stations. We should be able to create them everywhere. Absolutely. And it's up to the next generation of leaders to make that happen. Wow. So raising minimum wage is a step towards the good job strategy, but you say that paying people more isn't enough. Companies actually need to adapt their cultures if they're going to survive with more expensive labor. How do they do that? From the company's perspective, uh, let's take a typical supermarket and let's look at what people do, sure. right? So if you go to a typical supermarket, you'll see people shelving produce mm -hmm. and that's all they do. They shall produce. They don't make decisions. They don't order the produce and they're not really empowered to talk to customers or help customers and they don't have time. Okay. So in this particular context, if you say, I'm going to increase the wage of this produce worker, what could they do? Well, they could shelve faster. Mm -hmm. They could shelve more accurately. But that's all they can do. Their job is designed in a way that really minimizes their contribution. So they could be more productive, but they can't really contribute more. In the other companies, good job strategy companies that I've analyzed, the same produce specialist, they will be able to go open a cash register if there's a long line of customers at the checkout. Okay. They are in charge of ordering merchandise. They know each of those products and they can help the customers. Now, these employees can contribute more to the company's success. And as a result, the company can pay them more. Mm -hmm. And because they are empowered, because they're cross-trained, because they actually shine in front of the customers every day, they are much happier. Their work is more fulfilling. And because they're cross-trained, they can have a lot more predictable schedules. So it's a whole different way of operating, and I call this a human-centered operating system, that is a combination of investment in people 
and operating decisions that create this environment where workers are very happy, they're fulfilled, they can be paid more, customers are happier because now not only do the stores look great, not only does the merchandise in stock, but also employees are friendly and helpful and the investors are very happy because the store is bringing more customers, bringing more sales and employees are actively reducing costs. So it sounds like every company ought to be interested in it, in developing a culture that would create this kind of an environment. Yes, that would be the, that would be and we both are smiling and laughing because it's so much easier said sure. than done. I have more empathy for senior executives now than I did a few years ago mm -hmm. because now I started working with them to try to have them change. One of the reasons why it's very difficult to do is because creating a good job strategy, this human-centered operating system, requires companies to coordinate across different functions. Mm -hmm. And a lot of companies that I have been interacting with, they operate in silos. Right. When they think about what products they're going to send to each store, they don't think about how easy is it to shelve this. How does it affect the life and job of the frontline person? Sure. The other is that it really requires senior management from letting go of control. Mm -hmm. You have to now put, in some ways, your company in the hands of frontline people and then make sure that those hands are very capable and competent and motivated. Right. A lot of executives are nervous about putting their company in the hands of frontline people yeah. and trusting them to do the right thing. The delegation and the empowerment is is challenging. Absolutely. It is very challenging. And empowerment doesn't necessarily mean losing control. The companies that I've studied, they do empower their frontline employees. They do empower their managers, but they combine it with controls so that the frontline employees and managers make the right decisions. Right. Right for their customers, for the company, and for them. Um, but I think a lot of executives are used to thinking that the smart people should design and then the rest should execute. Right. And that's a tough mentality to change. Sure. So consumers are also moving towards a, a self-serve economy uh, with self-checkout lines at the store. Just about everything can be purchased online. As customers become more autonomous, do we still need a full-service workforce on the front lines? Interesting. I think the trends in automation and on e-commerce are in fact increasing the need to create better experiences mm. at the stores. And during the last couple of years, I received more phone calls from retail CEOs than I've had all my career. I think one of the reasons is e-commerce mm -hmm. because shopping is moving towards that. So now if you have a brick and mortar chain, right. you need to provide customers a reason to come to your stores. And that reason can't be just low prices. That reason can't just be convenience because Amazons of the world are increasingly <laughs> getting more convenient and lower prices. Right. So the reason has to be a much better shopping experience along with the convenience and the low prices. And the only way to do that is to create this good job strategy type of system. Regarding the automation, first, I think it's important to separate automation from outsourcing to customers. So the self-checkout is one technology that's often cited as, look, we won't need as many cashiers in the future anymore. And that may be true. And cashiers, by the way, is the number two employer, largest employer in the United States, yeah, followed by retail salespeople. 
But using those self-checkouts does not automate the checkout process. It are sources that process to the customers. Okay. And customers are not necessarily capable or motivated to do a good job at the self-checkout. And a lot of companies that I've talked to implemented self-checkout and then they actually took them out of their stores. Hopefully the technology will be better mm -hmm. because I would not say that checkout is a very interesting experience for the employees. And if that was automated, I think they will be, uh, they might be delighted. Right. But what I see is that companies that do follow this good job strategy, they would welcome all this automation that will get rid of the routine tasks that people do. Mm -hmm and really focused on providing great service to the customers. When I visited Mercadona a couple of years ago, Mercadona is Spain's largest supermarket chain. Okay. They have over 1,500 stores, and I visited their fully automated distribution center. And this was more automated than any other distribution centers in the grocery uh, supply chain that I have seen before. And I've asked them, you know, workers' reaction to this, why they built this, and... They told me, we never want to ask a person to do what a machine can do. We want people to be able to give us their hands, their heads, and their hearts. Mm. And uh, if we can automate the things that are just hands-related, we will do so. I, I, I found that to be a very nice perspective. Yes, indeed. Um, and it came with no layoffs due to automation because they were still thriving as a business. They were opening more stores, so they didn't have to lay off anyone. And it also made the jobs at the distribution center a lot more interesting for those who stayed in that area. And they trained their own employees to be able to take on these jobs. Okay. How do you see your work being applied in the global business world today? You know, the last um, few years have been humbling and have been amazing. There have been some companies that have implemented the good job strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, some are quite new. Some have been around for a while. Some are in retails. But one of my favorite examples is Quest Diagnostics, mm. um, whose CEO is an MIT Sloan alum. Okay. And they had some issues at two of their call centers, high turnover, uh, high labor cost, low productivity, and frustrated customers. Right. They implemented the good job strategy. They increased pay of their employees. They changed the job design so they empowered their employees more. They standardized processes. Um, they cross-trained. They, they did all the things that I talk about in my book. Their employee turnover went down by half. Wow. Their customer satisfaction increased. Their cost decreased. And now they are going to implement the good job strategy in other parts of the organization. Terrific. How do you get through to companies that are resistant to your message about the good job strategy? I keep talking. I keep talking. <laughs> uh, that's one of the reasons that I'm doing this uh, podcast, provide more evidence. Mm -hmm. I think it's always good to use logic, data, benchmarking, mm -hmm. and heart to be able to tell a good story. I will say, though, I have not talked to many companies that said, this just doesn't apply to me. Mm -hmm. But I think the challenge now is this is hard to implement. And um, finding courageous leaders who will take on a long-term implementation and carry on with it. Right. That's the challenging part. And 
I'm hoping that if we see one or two examples of these large retailers implementing it with success, mm-hmm. then the others will imitate. Right. Because imitation is part of what executives do. So right. that's my hope. So it's really a, a willingness on the part of executives to change the culture of their companies. Willingness and capability. Yes. Yes. Willingness and capability to be able to change the culture. So how can we as consumers support good jobs? And how can we tell if our stores are providing them? I think telling if the stores are providing them is kind of easy. Okay. Because if a company is not offering good jobs, it's hard to find good customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, we will see stores that are dirty. We will see stores where the merchandise is not in stock. We will see stores where the checkout line is too long. These are all uh, symptoms of a company not applying the good job strategy. Another way to find out about companies, whether they're applying this or not, is to just go on Glassdoor and find out what the company's score is mm. on Glassdoor and what employees say about working there. And in terms of how we can make a difference, we can vote with our wallets. I was on a panel with the CEO of Boloco a couple months ago. And Boloco, uh, you know, is the burrito chain, right. our local chain here in Boston. And the CEO said, I wish my customers cared as much about how we treat our workers as how we treat our chickens. Right. Because they want to make sure that the chickens are well-grown, they're fed, you know, no antibiotics, they right. have plenty of time to be outside. But he, there were employees who did not have homes or who slept in their cars, mm. um, who had a terrible life. And it would be nice for us to care more about that and vote with our wallets. Terrific. So do you believe the good job strategy is the future of work? Absolutely. In the future of work, people talk about how problem-solving, creativity, these are the skills that are really needed. At good job strategy companies, these skills are already in use right now, Mm. and they are developed right now. So um, Costco, for example, we talked about merchandising. Right. right? Merchandising is a combination of art and science. You have to use a lot of data to be able to tell what to stock in the store, Mm -hmm. but you also have to adjust it to your local customers. And inside Costco, store managers are constantly teaching and problem-solving about how to display the merchandise in a way that benefits their customers. Right. And they're using this problem-solving creativity every single day. So if automation comes and takes away jobs and creativity and problem-solving are the skills that are needed, who is going to win? Sure. Costco's of the world, right? That's one of the reasons why I think good job strategy is the future of work. But to be perfectly honest, I wish that we talked as much about the now of work as we did about the future of work. Mm -hmm. The future of work is, of course, very important for our economy, uh, where the jobs will be, how many jobs we will have. But right now, we have 11.5 million retail salespeople, cashiers, and food preparation and service workers. Mm -hmm. For these 11.5 million people, work is not working right now. And as much as we would like to think about the future, we also have to fix the problems of now. Absolutely. And the good news is that fixing them now through the good job strategy will also prepare them for the future. Excellent. Zainab, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Zainab Tan is Professor of Operations Management here at MIT Sloan. 
Zainab's book is The Good Job Strategy, How the Smartest Companies Invest in Employees to Lower Cost and Boost Profits. You can buy it at your local bookstore or online at Amazon. Data Made to Matter is a production of the MIT Sloan School of Management. We are committed to bringing together MIT's intellectual resources to help managers invent the future. You can learn more at sloan.mit.edu. If you like our show, please subscribe. You can leave us ratings, comments, and questions on iTunes. I'm Neil Hartman. Join us next time for Data Made to Matter.